Join me on my journey as I explore wealth in all areas of life. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucrative Society. Welcome back to another episode of The Lucrative Society. I am here today with my friend Nita Bushin, and I am so excited for you to hear her story and also her journey. It's really, really interesting. Nita, welcome to the program. Oh, Mindy, thank you for saying my name right, and I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> we may have just had a conversation before the recording started about names. I am big on that because everybody pronounces my last name incorrectly, so I'm all about asking, how do you yeah. pronounce your name? And then I, I want to get it right. So truly, though, welcome. I'm really excited for people to get to know you and just to learn more about you. So to begin, if you could talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial endeavors, you know, the kind of the evolution of what you've created in your life, that would be an awesome place to start. I, uh, let's see, my, my entrepreneurial journey, I guess, started when I decided to become a tooth saver. Uh, in my previous life, I was a cosmetic dentist. Right out the gate, uh, when I graduated, I knew that I couldn't work for somebody else. And that was, and I know we'll get into my story in a little bit, you know, when I graduated from dental school in 2008, uh, we had a market crash and uh, there was nobody hiring, you know, newbie dentists. And so uh, while there was no choice for me to sit back, I had to really find something. Whereas some of my other colleagues, they decided to, you know, toss in the towel and they were going to take a little break because we'd been in school for like a hundred years. And I just, I, I couldn't do that. Um, I needed to really uh, put my resilience and grit game in and working different odd shifts for several different kinds of dentists. Um, I was going door, door to door. I was, you know, not doing the email thing that everyone else was doing, uh, meeting people in their offices. People thought I was like a hygienist and assistant, um, but I was literally the new kid on the block. And so I needed to really, um, there was just no choice for me to not work. Uh, I had, you know, thousands of dollars in, in student debt at that point. And so that really uh, preempted me to think, can I open my own practice? And so two years after that is when I started my entrepreneurial journey and bought my practice uh, pretty much out of dental school. And uh, that led to a whole host of things, ended up growing uh, into a seven figure business and uh, became primarily focused as a, as a cosmetic health practice in, uh, in Illinois. So um, do you want me to keep going? Because I can. <laughs> I do. And I also have a question about that specifically. Yeah. Yes. And I may be wrong because I don't know a lot of people in that world. But my guess is that your results were not typical. Like my guess is that most people just don't go buy their own practice fresh out of school and then turn no. it into this seven figure thing. So how did that happen for you? Yeah, so uh, I started working at several different places. Like the average person out of school would probably find like, you know, a corporate job or work under another dentist, work under somebody, you know, uh, that's more senior. And that was really the typical path for a lot of folks. Uh, I just didn't have that 
option because I needed to pay bills and all of these things and I wasn't getting a handout from mom or dad. Um, so that was a very different motivation for me. And in that process, I realized that Either you can uh, work for a big corporation, you can work for a hospital, you can work for a clinic, or you can start your own. And so I started to get really curious about how other people, how other people did that and what that journey was like. And of course, because graduating out of dental school, um, literally there were, there were more, it was probably like 60% guys and 40% women. And then even that too, much less young women trying to buy their own practice. And so um, it's almost like you have to really look up to certain people who you kind of want to be like. And so I had to sort that out. Um, and I started finding people that were just kind of a little bit more ahead of the game than I was. And I think the biggest thing, just knowing from my background and knowing the way that I grew up, I had to grow up fast. Um, you know, a lot of things happened in my childhood that really gave me the, you know, the risk factor and the ability to say, you know what, I am going to take this loan and I'm going to buy this practice. And so um, I got help from different coaches. And I mean, I guess you wouldn't call them coaches. They were consultants, but consultants really helping um, people like me, junior dentists, figure out what would be the best thing. And that's basically what happened. Um, so yeah, in 2010, I purchased my practice and uh, literally it was growing pains and growing pains, you know, whatever business that you're starting out, I think there's always going to be growing pains. And I think that there was definitely a lot that I was battling at the time, you know, personally as well. I, I had just gotten married and there was a whole, whole host of, of things that had completely changed in my world. And so a few years later, uh, that marriage would not last. And so that really kind of ignited my growth as, as a leader, because I, I, I feel like in that time, I felt like I was trying to prove myself that this, you know, junior dentist who didn't look like a nurse or a, an assistant or a hygienist could really take care of your needs. And my practice was located in an area of uh, the Chicago suburbs that majority of them were um, for lack of a better word, just older, retired folk that were of one color and, you know, and, and didn't want a mixed young girl working on them. And so uh, I had to do things that were non-traditional. I mean, I, my first hire was a, was the specialist that was a guy was, that was a man because I knew that that was going to bring revenue in. And, um, I knew that the way that I hired, uh, like my hygienist and my assistants were probably a little bit older than me. And so there was, there was growing pains in, um, that I had to really kind of take on an ownership in terms of saying, okay, people might not take me seriously, but maybe they'll take the other people that I bring on uh, seriously. So it definitely took a lot of um, courage and it took a lot of really understanding my own self-worth in terms of there was nothing more that I could do, no straight A's, no, no, no any of those like achievements or accolades that I could do to really 
prove myself because I already owned this practice. So it was a matter of really stepping into it and sometimes even shedding some of those past stories that I had collected over, you know, the course of, of my upbringing. Um, and that's really what, what turned the page, uh, among other things, of what kind of was the catalyst for the immense growth that would then happen in the years to come. Wow. I, and I'm so grateful that you're talking about some of the challenges too, because a lot of times it's like, hey, this is this awesome stuff that I've done. And we're not always sharing all of the, the hardships through that, through that experience. Now, what can I ask you what suburb that practice was in? Yeah, I was in Lyle, uh, Lyle Naperville area, nice area. And it was close to the, it was close to O'Hare. So, um, and it was a very corporate area. So there was a mix, but you know, we definitely weren't the only dental office on the block. So there, there were things that you had to really, you know, look into in terms of trying to be unique and stand out. And so, uh, and that's where really understanding my own personality and how I could really, one of the values I now, between my husband and I, uh, we adopt so much is, is to be able to serve love. And that really came from just a joint interest of being able to, to have provide service from a place of love. And that was one of the things early on in my practice, uh, as we were growing, it was one of the things like, how can we stand out? How can we do community service? How can we teach at all the schools? And whether it's, you know, you, we have the early business building years where, yeah, maybe there's a little bit more work and effort and grind and, and grunt and all of those things that you have to do. And there were times where I was literally, I was, I was going through a divorce at the time. So I had a lot of time on my hands. Uh, and so I would spend days, weekends, nights at my office and, you know, uh, trying to, connect with as many people as possible from sending notes to figuring out how to build systems when I had no idea what systems were because I went to school to become a freaking dentist and not <laughs> a CEO. But I, I learned early on and now I'm appreciating it, right? But like you learn early on that you no one, I didn't go to MBA school. I didn't go to business school. So you have to learn it, uh, you know, in many respects, the hard way. <laughs> and, and I'm appreciating you know it. Like, I think that most of us do it that way anyway. Like, that's what being an entrepreneur is. It's like, here's the vision. Okay, now what the hell am I going to do here? <laughs> How yeah. do we make this thing go? <laughs> so catch us up to speed with what you're doing now, because I know that's not your, your current work. Yeah. So, so fast forward, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I checked off all of those boxes of, of success inside of the practice, you know, it, it grew and I think I started getting more and more interested in, um, you know, that divorce really was the catalyst for me to grow in my leadership, grow in to being unapologetic and how I operated. I mean, I used to want to be like a man. I know it sounds so strange and so weird, but for somebody that only saw male doctors do well in our industry. That was the only example that I had. And, um, and once I released all of those barriers for myself, I think that's when things really like the, the, the light really turned on for me. And that's when I realized, okay, I need to grow in all of my skills. I need to really become a better leader, a better speaker to my team, even though I had a team of like 10 at that point, uh, just to be able to be more motivational, inspirational so that I could actually get other doctors involved. So I could 
step away. And then that started really a bunch of other in, uh, endeavors. And I think when we're open to growth, when we're open, open to bettering ourselves, we start to find more of the things that we really want to do. So I had no idea that I was really going to step into entrepreneurship. I mean, in those years um, would be some of the toughest years uh, of, of my journey in terms of my personal journey, because I was going through this very public divorce, but from the professional side, when I started to trust my team members more and more, um, giving more people the opportunity to step in, and what I would call a present day, you know, director, marketing director, consultant, manager, all the people that kind of helped with this immense growth, I was able to step away. I was able to start different projects, like a nonprofit that I really, I really wanted to to do to create a a community for for women looking for self confidence and uh, self esteem, uh, and that really prompted me to end up going to uh, the West Coast to Stanford. That opened up my eyes to this whole world of Silicon Valley and all of these different entrepreneurs and these startup founders. And that was the first time I ever was exposed to people doing things and raising money for ideas that barely even existed. Because coming from healthcare and medicine, you're only taught like, you know, you're, you can't make a mistake and you can only get things right and failure isn't an option and perfectionism is everything. And so for me to go from there to there overnight, it really opened my eyes to what is possible. And wow, all these entrepreneurs are getting funded for ideas that haven't even been birthed yet. This is incredible. So from that nonprofit, instead of getting more excited about that, I started to really get excited about, and of course, then getting invited to share my story on different stages. People were really curious and wanting to know more about how I was doing all of these things because then I started becoming an angel investor. As a young dentist with this capital, people were asking, hey, did you want to be a mentor to someone? And I didn't know what that meant in terms of being that for female founders and leaders, which then led me more and more into San Francisco. And so that's when really I made the decision that I was going to not only leave Chicago, but um, really kind of set the tone and, and sell this practice and leave dentistry. And really, and I had a, I took a real interest in really understanding how people make decisions and how, and what success really looked like. Not from a monetary standpoint, because I had, in my opinion, I had already achieved all of that. And I wasn't really, I wasn't even 30 yet, but it was more from the understanding, some of the characteristics that it takes to operate in this way. And they are able to do all of these incredible ideas. And so that took me on a track around the world to 45 different countries. I interviewed close to 500 people and this would really be the markings of my first book which is called Emotional Grit as you know and really developing what I didn't know at the time was this grit process because I use it as an acronym and so that was really a stepping stone into really understanding how grit and resilience plays such a huge role for entrepreneurs and leaders and people who are willing to take risks and really willing to just say yes to themselves and say yes to uh, something that they didn't even know that was ever imaginable. Hence, here's where we are today.
and you guys listening can't see the video, but I've been over here smiling the whole time that she is talking because I'm like, yes, I love stories, especially like this of a woman who's just like, look, here's the potential. I'm going to go get it. And so props to you, Anita. I'm so, I'm so happy to hear about all of this. So you started to mention you had made a lot of money even before you were 30. And one of the things that I ask all of my guests is how do you specifically define wealth? Mm, so good. So I would say it's really the fulfillment of your life. There's that Japanese saying, and I've, I've really fallen in love with it, um, even more so now that uh, I've, I've entered this journey of motherhood and it's this uh it's called ikigai and I, for being baby yeah i mean and i hadn't ever really um heard about it before and it was something that came across and i was like this is everything because it is the intersection of your passion and your purpose and all of the things you want to contribute and all the things that you're good at and the legacy that you want to leave losing my parents and my brother before i was 19 i think that really was a life-shaping moment but really also understanding that a lot of these things are fleeting and if we can really merge and intersect and I'm like the Japanese have a word for it of course they have a word for it uh, I think I think that is the, the purest um, dimension of wealth I love that and that concept definitely changed my life because I had done all the things on there except the money piece like I forgot that that was part of it so good doesn't work out really well. So when I found that too, I was like, yes, this totally makes sense. So you cannot mention losing your parents and your brother without me asking about that experience. And this is going to be a two-part question. Mm. First is, can you tell us a little bit of that story? And secondly, really what, what this whole show is about is looking at that intersection of wealth and then happiness. Mm. And you've gone through, you've gone through shit and traumatic things. So I'd love to get that story, but then also to hear a little bit about your journey to happiness coming from that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I was a, I became a, a child caretaker at the age of 10 and my mom was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And so I think that a lot of my early life, you know, being born Filipino and Indian, my mom, they were both immigrants. My mom was from uh, Philippines. My dad was from India. And so I think they were, they were really just um, committed to giving us this American dream life. And I was the oldest of two younger brothers and, you know, at 10 years old, my life completely changed. I had to grow up and I was this little girl, but in charge of my two younger brothers and my really traditional Indian father that didn't really know how to cope with his wife falling ill. And so she had been in remission here and there, but ultimately her cancer spread uh, from her breast to her lungs and then to her brain. And it was a six year battle. And that battle ended when she was six, when I was 16 and fast forward, you know, we're, we're all trying to just heal from this really long, I mean, pretty much I grew up in hospital settings. Uh, I didn't really have much of a high school 
time with friends and things like that. It would be, hey, you want to come meet at the hospital? That's where I'm going to be hanging out at. So it was a very different kind of upbringing in childhood. Um, I was always working at least one or two and sometimes three jobs to support my family, which is why I wasn't really afraid to take risks. I wasn't really afraid that there wasn't going to be food on the table or anything because I knew I was exposed to a lot of this uncertainty literally from 10 to 19. So fast forward when we actually experienced this utter awful sudden death of my brother a year after my mom died. I mean, it really tore apart my father. He just fell to his knees and could never recover because uh, my brother was was healthy and uh, he just had an asthma attack a year after my mom died. And he was a sophomore in high school. I was a senior in high school. We grew up in Chicago. So, you know, there was homecoming and uh, got into all of the colleges I wanted to go to, couldn't go away. So again, it was like, ah, I have to be there for my family. I have to take care of them. So um, I chose to stay local. I mean, I went to my local college, which was uh, Loyola University in Chicago, and I had to take care of my father and my youngest brother. And then two years after that, when you think that like life is just going to give us a break and we're going to recover, we're going to keep going. And I, I think the universe had other plans because we were starting to finally come out of this darkness. And my father had a, an allergic reaction to this hair dye. We were going to go to this family wedding and his face blew up to twice the size and ended up going to the emergency room. Then with routine tests and things, they basically found that he had stage four lung cancer. And they gave him the sentence that he would survive uh, only 10 months. And sure enough, uh, later on that year, he passed. So, you know, there we were at, I, I was 19, um, an orphan and, uh, you know, pretty much the caretaker of my of my youngest brother and and that really took me into overdrive in my 20s it was it was overdrive of okay no one's going to pity us no one's going to feel sorry for us we got this or i got this you know i kind of assumed this uh, overachieving or achievement oriented, go at it, unapologetic, fierce, like mentality of nothing's going to let us down until it really did. And that's really what happened, uh, you know, at the end of my 20s, really getting into this really incredibly toxic relationship, which would turn into, um, you know, marriage. But that was my coping mechanism uh, with all of my losses. And, and some of your listeners can probably to busyness or distraction or, or work. And luckily, I was good at that. I was a professional at working. I had been doing that since I was 10. So I, I didn't know how to take care of myself and part of this whole journey after you know going through and 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 building my dream seven figure business was really crashing and collapsing because i knew at that point i had to make a decision am i going to stay in this picture perfect life that i had created green on paper and 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 live this lie or really come and share my truth in all of the ways uh, that I had been hiding for literally, you know, for so long to really unveil or reveal a, a new version of myself uh, that was really waiting to emerge and um, and heal after so long. That is a crazy story. It's a lot. 
<laughs> you know, I feel like people should take a breath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I hear things like that, I, one, I have so much empathy, you know, everything that I went through with Sean feels like nothing compared to somebody who at such a young age had loss after loss after loss. Like that to me is crazy. My perception of you is that you're generally super positive, generally happy, generally smiling. My question is, how do you get to that based on everything you've come from? I think that I think that the some of the biggest things that I had, I've learned um, throughout my life and really has informed the work that we do now. I have this attitude, and it's because I've I've been living my life like this. That even in my darkest days, oh my gosh, I've I've had these things that I did. Whether it was prayer, whether it was you know thinking in my heart of of I'm probably going to lose somebody else again. And that feeling of that lump in your stomach, like somebody's going to call, oh my God, I, I don't want to pick up the phone, you know, and I, there's, there's trauma. Uh, I, I didn't even want to give birth to my son in a hospital because there was so much trauma because I had lived throughout losing multiple family members, whether it's personal growth, resilience training, leadership capacity building, or, you know, business development, it has to start with the first part, <laughs> you know, and I feel like so, so much of even in our schools, we're not really taught the coping mechanisms, not even the communication, not even being able to have courage to say, shit, I feel down. Shit, I don't know what to say to what you've been through, but God, that sucks. Like we don't even have the vocabulary for, for that. And I think that, you know, that that's been, I think some of the, the greatest strengths, which is why I've been able to, I guess, in many cases, be so malleable. Obviously, it's informed a lot of the, the work that I do now. And have I worked with a ton of different healers, coaches, therapists, release workers, and all of those things? Absolutely, because I, I needed to, there's, there's no way. I, I should have been in some drug ward somewhere or, or, or doing something else because I had every excuse to. Amazing. Yeah. People are interested in learning more about you and your work. Where would you like to send them? Yeah, come and hop over uh, to globalgritinstitute.com and uh, you'll, you can learn more about the grit process as well as our, our business development opportunities. Awesome. So I'll link to that in the transcript. And Nitha, you are also going to be part of the Lucrative Speaker Summit this summer. And I wondered if you could just give a little hint of what you're going to be talking about on the summit. Yes, super excited. You know, and I think that just to give you guys a glimpse, we all have grit in our stories. And I think that, uh, you know, you, you guys all heard just a little bit of, of my uh, grit today that has really turned into greatness and really being able to serve love in all the ways that I, I truly enjoy now uh, to all of you. And, and so we're going to be talking about the grit framework and how to really add that into honoring your stories, pulling out your stories to turn them into greatness gems in your life. That's awesome. I myself can't wait to hear you talk about that. 
So if you all are interested in that, find out more at lucrativespeaker.com. And Nita, I'm so excited just to have had you on this show. I'm really delighted just to have gotten to know you better for sharing with my audience and really just for being a badass woman that you are as a model for so many other entrepreneurs out there that can look to your success and say, you know what, if she did it, I think there's hope for me too, and just continue on their way. So thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the Lucrative Society on iTunes and please leave a review of the podcast. Visit lucra.com for transcripts and resources or to become a member of the Lucrative Society where I coach purpose-based entrepreneurs on business, mindset, and heartset. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being.